Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the JKWT podcast. My name is Josh, and I just look for new ways to make Kelvin laugh at this intro. It We're was Josh you. again. Yes, it was the Josh, man. <laughs> uh, we're brought to you today by Audible. Get one of, I don't know, what do they got? 200,000 audiobooks and programs and all that stuff. Keeps going up, doesn't it? Wow, yeah, it does. They got a lot of stuff. Go get a free one. Go get a free month at Audible by visiting audibletrial.com slash jkwd. That's audibletrial.com slash jkwd. And we got a show to do, and boy, is it a show for you. Yes, it is. Hey, Kelvin, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Man, after that, after that interview we just had, I mean, that was like, that was like wild. And, yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and other than that, life's pretty good. You won't believe it, but we got blue skies and blue skies and white clouds here in, in sunny Syracuse. It's a, wow. And it's, we're, it's beautiful. We're doing the same right here in sunny Savannah. So uh, sunny Savannah, sunny Syracuse. We got siblings all over the place with sun. It, it's just a sunshiny, sunshiny day. I suppose, you know, we, uh, we, we, um, we're doing good. We do. I think we want to give a shout out to those who are struggling in, in, in Houston. Houston. Yeah. And that. And, I think that was crazier than anybody expected it to be. That was uh, yeah, and they came back. You know, yes, twice. Which so that we got a long way to go there too. So you know, we're just gonna keep sending our prayers and positive thoughts that way. Yes, we are. But um, I tell you, we we don't really need to do a lot of talking today for us because we have an incredible an incredible show coming up behind us right yeah yeah um so thanks for thanks to our previous guest sean douglas for this introduction um and uh, we're just gonna go ahead and we'll tell you a little bit about who john vroman is and then we're gonna jump right into the right into the interview and uh that'll be it all right so stay tuned John Vroman is on a mission to show you how to live life in the front row through the transformative art of moment-making. He is a social entrepreneur, committed husband, father of two, and an ultramarathon runner. John is the proud founder of the Front Row Foundation, a charity established in 2005 that creates unforgettable moments for individuals who are braving life-threatening illnesses. The organization empowers individuals to live life in the front row by providing recipients a front row experience at the live event of their dreams. He is the number one best-selling author of The Front Row Factor, Transform Your Life with the Art of Moment Making. The book is a collection of inspiring stories, compelling science, and life strategies that challenge you to explore your values, establish priorities, and reconnect to a higher purpose and deeper meaning within your life. As an award-winning speaker, John has given more than 750 keynote presentations for many companies, organizations, universities, and associations. Clients include Vitamix, 
Cutco Cutlery, Maurice's, St. Thomas Health, Keller Williams Realty, and the U.S. Navy. John brings a refreshingly effective and modern motivational edge that genuinely connects with his audience as he ignites their enthusiasm and challenges their status quo. Host of the popular Front Row Factor podcast, John's interviews help you strengthen your mindset, relationships, and environment so you can excel in every area of life. Many call John's ability to connect one-on-one and with his and with groups his superpower as he draws out the best of each individual and interaction. John is a fierce community builder who hosts live events including the Front Row Dads Retreat, the Speaker Trainer Experience, the Front Row Personal Transformation and Co-Creation Summit, and the Front Row Foundation Celebration. Learn more at www.frontrowfactor.com. John, we see your face. There it is. See your something. Hey. He's got some stuff. See, you got all that equipment. All right, send us some equipment. What's up, boys? How you doing? What's going on? Oh man, I'm great. Let me uh, let me change my. You and Josh have something in common. All right, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Part of the same club. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, got to stay aerodynamic, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I I was a runner, and I thought uh, I'm going to give myself every possible advantage. <laughs> What's up, guys? How's the morning going? Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. How you doing over there? Man, we're great. Um, today is one of my favorite days of the week because it's uh, cleaning day. And so we have a, one of my favorite people in the world is Norma. And Norma comes to our house on Thursdays. And I have this sense of peace that runs over me when I <laughs> my house getting clean. <laughs> it is like, I- it's one of the most joyful times of my week. I see. I mean, I know that sounds <laughs> totally true. It's it's good to know what makes you happy. We can we can work that into the podcast. I think <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, I'm I'm game for anything today. Nothing's off limits. Uh, to ask me anything. If you have any guidance for me, let me know what it is. If you want answers a certain length or style or whatever, otherwise, I'm just ready to have a conversation. Okay, yeah, that's usually how we roll, too. That's kind of Josh likes to do that. (laughs) Cool. Um, So good. So I just want to start off saying, hey, congratulations. I mean, the book is still kind of new, and you're coming up on 100 episodes in your podcast. Yeah. Um, That's that's pretty awesome. How how does that feel? Feels awesome. (laughs) Feels really good. I'm uh, I'm pumped. You know, I, I think there's... There's things about it that I didn't see coming that are great. There's things that are great that I did see coming. Um, and then there's challenges on, on other side of those as well. So, yeah, it's great. It's just like any life experience. It's the biggest thing you've learned on it uh, so far or from it. I think the power of no matter how busy your life is, that you can always make room to meet new people. So I've been at the place in my life where I was like, I'm, pa- I'm maxed. I, I can't handle any new conversations. <laughs> I want no new friends. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm not taking care of the friends I already have. But what I realized was that I just needed to balance my life in a way that always left some percentage of time to meet and talk to and, you know, an interview, in this case, new people. Um, and for me, that's been great because it's always something fresh. It's always something new. It's actually a contribution to your current friends, right? 
Anything surprising from from uh, new people? Any anybody who you didn't expect to really enjoy and and is staying in your life? Hmm, that's a good question. Who you know? Well, we, I, you we know, got it early. When I think about <laughs> when I when I think about yeah, this Josh and Kelvin, uh, two amazing guys. I, I feel like I've known them forever, even though I've known them for minutes. Um, now you know it's funny. I, whenever I talk about that person this year, I talk about um, a guy named Mike McCarthy, mm-hmm. and Mike is the CEO of GoBundance. And he uh, was not even on my radar, you know, a couple years ago. And over the last couple years has become a great friend, highly influential in my life, highly, um, you know, inspirational in my life. He's an amazing guy. Father runs a mastermind group, very successful in real estate. Just like a a heart-centered spiritual leader who I really connect with and admire. Great. So um, before we get too deep, uh, I should probably say, you know, we'll have read your bio and stuff at the beginning. So they've already heard that. But uh, tell people a little bit about you, about your foundations and and what it is to have a front row life, because that's really that's really where where this story starts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know how big you want me to go here, or, or go big. Go, yeah, yeah. So you know, big, really, the the story, and I think why we're talking today is that the the most, for me at least, the part I like to talk about the most is what happened in two thousand five when we started Front Row Foundation. So mm-hmm. Front Row Foundation is this charity that, and you'll probably have mentioned this, helps kids and adults who have a life-threatening illness to see the event of their dreams from the front row. And that, that charity, that organization, that mission, that movement was a game changer for me because of a number of reasons. But one is just the, 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 the category of your life of contribution and giving back, having that be so filled in my life. Um, I hadn't experienced that up until that point. I hadn't found real purpose and meaning behind all of my actions and found a way to create a world where everything I did supports that move, that movement, that charity, that mission. So my, my keynote speaking supports that my books support that my front row dad's retreat supports that everything points to the charity and ultimately brings attention to it, brings money to it, brings uh, connections and possible new recipients and all sorts of things. And so I think that what's been really cool is that the journey has been one about figuring out how does your life work in harmony and how can you not fall into that, you know, old whatever phrase that people quote that when you chase two rabbits, they both get away. (laughs) And I was like, how do I, when knowing that I have these different categories of my life, how do I make them all work together? So if I'm going to go exercise, I'm probably going to be training for a fundraising run that supports Front Row. If I'm going to be getting families together to celebrate, we do it at the Front Row Summit every year, once a year. If we're going to, um, you know, if I'm going to write a book, it's probably going to point to Front Row Foundation somehow. And that, to me, was where it all exploded. And, you know, the book, as we say, is everything we learned about living life from people fighting for it. And I think that's been the greatest gift here for our community is perspective, awareness, appreciation, gratitude. How do we make the most of the moments we have? We never know when our life's going to end. 
uh, hopefully for everybody listening, it's a long, long time down the road. But for many of us, um, we just don't know. Most of us, we don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't speak for everybody because I don't know what your beliefs are, but <laughs> I haven't found a way to predict when it's all going to come to an end. And so I think that's really important. Um, and that's part of the story. How did you decide on that originally as, as the mission for the foundation? Yeah. So this is what I call the perfect storm in my life. So what happened was there's three pieces of it. One was that I had been getting deeper and deeper into the Tony Robbins world. And uh, the more that Tony talks, he's not always about you making more money or you being in better shape. A lot of it is about what you're doing for the world, what you're contributing to the world. And I just got thinking about that constantly. He would ask regularly, how would you rate your contribution on a one to 10 scale and check in and how you're feeling with that. It's not about the amount of money or time. It's how you feel about your contributions. So I knew that that was lacking in my life. The second thing that happened was um, that I went to a Jason Mraz concert with my girlfriend at the time and I was in the back row and I looked to the front row and I saw this group having the time of their life. You know, they were dancing and singing and they were having an amazing experience. And it looked like they wanted to be nowhere other than right there. And then I looked in the back and I saw in the back of the, you know, the, the, uh, the venue, people were kind of checked out. They, some of them were on their phones. Some of them they were sitting down. They weren't dancing. They weren't singing. They, and it was the same experience uh, or sorry, same event, two different experiences. And I thought that's exactly how life is, right? We are given this event and we can have two totally radically different experiences with it. And a lot of it is how we choose to show up, where we choose to show up. Like when you step up to something, when you get close to your friends, when you get close to your loved ones, when you get close to your mission and your dream job and, your, and when you get close to those things, we call that the proximity principle, that you come alive. Uh, you are affected by it more. That's why when you buy tickets to the front row, they're so much more expensive. That's why they're the most coveted seats because uh, there's nothing like it for a real fan. And uh, you know that's, that applies almost everywhere except for at the movie theaters. So, <laughs> so, so the reality is, and, and, and you know, when people challenge me with that, I always tell them, I say the metaphor is about the best seat in the house for you right? We, in our charity, we always say, you don't always choose your seat in life, but you can choose to have a front row experience. And if you don't like your seat, change it. If you can't change it, then just own it and make the most of it. So I think that, um, that this experience for me at Jason Mraz was a launching point about how I saw this front row metaphor. And then the third thing that happened was a buddy of mine challenged me to run an ultra marathon and I was not a runner at the time. So I had never run more than two miles in my whole life. Now I'm 30 years old, to put this into perspective, never run more than two or three miles, really, truly. Um, and then my buddy said, let's run a 52 mile marathon. And I remember just was like, you're nuts. That's, there's no way. <laughs> That's insane. And I remember saying to him, I can't. And he said, if you can't, you must. Now, he's probably quoting somebody and I don't know who to, who to credit for that, but um, that was brilliant, right? Because it got me thinking about in this point of my life, whatever I was fearful of, I wanted to run towards that rather than running away from it, which I had done for the majority of my life was living in fear and living in the back row, checked out, watching things safely from afar versus 
getting engaged. So I just said yes. And that's kind of the season that I was in at that point was I was yes to this, yes to that. Let's see what I'm made of. Let's see, let's see how much I've been selling myself short over the years. Well, we read everything we could get our hands on. We talked to professional runners. We worked on our diet. I went to physical therapy. I did every single thing possible. And 16 weeks later from the commitment, we finished a 52 mile run. Now, hold on. I should clarify something. I don't drive 52 miles. When I say 52 miles, though, because I, I want to I have integrity with this, I really didn't run all the miles. I was a lot of walking and crawling and limping along the way, but we finished it and we raised money. So what happened on that run was a couple of things. Number one is I realized something. It was we were raising money for the charity. I realized that having purpose gave me power. And I want to say that again, because I think that's really important for us to know, um, is that purpose gives us power in life. And whenever we feel fatigued, whenever we're in the marathon of life, we need to reconnect with why we're doing it. Now, that's not a new concept. There's lots of people who talk about that. Simon Sinek kind of made that popular, starting with why. And I, I believe that when your why has heart, your how gets legs. And that's exactly what I used to finish that run. And that's exactly the lesson that I've carried with that from 12 years ago until this day, that whenever I start to feel fatigued, I know I need to reconnect with a purpose. And so what happened with that run was that I just kept asking myself why I was doing this. And at the moment, we were raising money for Front Row. And, and by the way, how that idea of Front Row came up was, it was really simple. We were, on, we were out for a jog one day with my buddy and he, and he simply said, uh, let's raise money for a charity. And I said, I said, well, I don't, what charity? And we just started thinking about all of them. We're like, well, those are all great charities, but none of them really made us scream hell yes. And uh, I just said, well, what if we started a charity? What would that look like? Like if you made the perfect charity, what would it be? We just had a brainstorming conversation. And then I said, well, if you want to find real purpose, a lot of times you start with your greatest fear and your greatest love. Those polar opposites will, will kind of show you what's important in life. What are you moving away from and what are you moving towards? So for me, I was moving away from a life where I didn't live it fully. I was terrified of getting to the end of my life and feeling like I didn't experience the most that I could with the time I had. And then my greatest love was just the opposite of that, was experiences that we would rave about forever. So my buddy and I just said, what if we combine those two, our greatest fear, our greatest love, and literally rolled off the tongue, Front Row Foundation. We put kids and adults who are fighting for their life into the front row of their favorite event. But what we'll do is we'll make our charity unique where it won't be just about a day, it'll be about how we live every day of our life. So as an example, we'll use the, the, the Front Row experience that one day as a launching pad for how that person could live every day, no matter how many days they had in the front row of life. And we were mix, we mix Make-A-Wish with Tony Robbins. And we'll blend wish granting with coaching. And then we'll create a movement and a community and a front row family, as we now call it, where people feel like they can get access to all these tools about how to manage our mindset, how to manage our emotions, and how to, how to march forward and make the most of what we've got. That's where it all began. And that was 12 years ago, millions of dollars later that we've raised, you know, um, uh, many, many experiences that we've created. And yeah, that's it. Awesome. Um, yeah, one of the things I really enjoyed in the book was not just that you and it showed the recipients uh, of 
you know, of their front row experience, but their families and, and what it meant to their families to also be involved in this. You know, you didn't, you didn't take you know, one person and sweep them away from their support group. You took as many people as you could with you and you gave them everything you could give them for however long you could give it. That's right. And it sounds like a lot of people are staying involved, even if they've lost the family member yeah. who, who came with. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's really that's really amazing. So how did how did kind of the rest of it follow from? You know, a what lot of people. In, a, a, in you know, a lot years? of people. <laughs> a lot of people have yeah. like, their business and and their everything going on, yeah. and then either you know, from the selfishness of needing a place to, you know, for tax write-offs or, um, or otherwise, you know, needing to reconnect with the purpose that's when they start the foundation. You started with the foundation and you yeah, kind of built the unique. rest of the business around it. So how did the yeah. rest of it kind of, kind of come after? Yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a point that I'm really, really proud of. Now, listen, I'm not trashing people who spend the first part of their life or two thirds of their life making money and then finding a way to give it away later. That's one of the ways to do it. But I was always worried that I'd never see that day, right? Or that my, 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 my habits would grow with my income and I'd never, I'd never get to the time when I said now is the time to give. Because I've seen that, right? People talking about giving for 10 years. And I said, let me lead with that. Let me make that part of growth. So rather than um, you're giving it away later. Let me, let me grow and give at the same time. And I knew that was a key to spiritual success or, or real fulfillment at a core level. So what happened after that was, so when I started this, I had a corporate position. I was making great money. I was traveling the world. I, I had a great team that I was working with. I loved the company. But what happened, there, there just wasn't enough of a fit between how I was spending eight, nine hours a day to the front row foundation that I was dividing my time. And while that company was very supportive of what I was doing, I thought, what could I do if I worked for eight or nine hours a day and it did support the charity? What would happen then? So, in t so three years in to starting the charity, I left that job with no security, no safety net, no nothing. I walked away from a six-figure-a-year salary into six figures of expenses, essentially. <laughs> and uh, I blew through 100 grand of savings my first year. The second year, I, I accumulated $100,000 worth of debt. And what I'd been doing in those two years was trying to figure out how to be a professional speaker. Mm -hmm. And I was just starting out in the college market. And I was figuring out how to get paid as a speaker in the college market. And that proved to be more difficult than anticipated. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people who've ever dabbled in that would agree and attest to that. But, but on the third year, it did work. I won Campus Speaker of the Year from an association, from a, a national association, and uh, my business popped. And that year I made six figures as a speaker, and I started to then pay down my debt. And by the fourth year, I paid off all my debt, and I was on my way. And that was the, that was the launching pad. But those were four excruciating <laughs> yeah. years. Uh, and, and I will tell you quite honestly, and I don't mind opening up and telling people the truth behind that, is that there were a lot of amazing days where I'd wake up and feel super inspired, no matter how tough it was, that I had open road and heart full of adventure ready to go out and make it happen, right? Um, what I also will tell you is that there were days when the banks were calling to tell me they were foreclosing on my home and I had a newborn baby as those banks were calling. 
And I remember I spent my last $3,000. So my credit cards are maxed out. My, I had 3,000 bucks in my bank account and I mailed brochures to colleges to try to get booked as a speaker. And I remember getting on the phone one day with a, a guy who had, was very successful. And I was on my way back from the post office of mailing these brochures. And I said, what, what would you recommend? And what would you recommend I don't do? And he said, well, first, let me tell you, the first thing you don't want to do is mail brochures. <laughs> <laughs> so I will tell you, that's where I was. Like, I'm just painting the picture of where I was in my life. And um, so there were some real high highs and low lows along the way. But when it popped, it popped and then it worked. And so I started speaking. I did a lot of speaking. I was doing 40 to 50 presentations a year, um, you know, and, and getting paid anywhere between three and $5,000 a presentation. And then I was also doing coaching. I had private coaching clients that I was working with. And I had a dozen or so of those. I had other ventures or businesses that I was dabbling in um, and that would keep things going. And, and, and what happened is that for the last eight years now, nine years, I have been speaking and then I moved into corporate speaking. So that's where I spend my time now doing corporate speeches. So like, for example, it's very popular for companies to do days of giving, right? A company wants to go out and it's a team building activity. They have to make a difference. And I'm oftentimes the keynote speaker for that event. I kick it off and talk about the power of contribution and showing up and making a difference for people. And that's where I end up speaking a lot now. So I speak to companies you know, that need a, uh, a dose of inspiration, how to, how to make the most of what we've got. And many companies, sales organizations, retail organizations, customer service organizations, those are all the people that I speak to. So I found a way to take the things I was learning over here with the charity and apply it to uh, for-profit ventures and then every time I speak about the charity, money goes back to the charity, attention goes to the charity, we get more donors. It's an amazing process. Excellent. That sounds great. That, that, that's um, you. I tell you, I, I read your book. Okay. Uh, there was a Thank few you. Pages. Yeah, to both of you guys. Thank there, you for that. There was a few pages I didn't get to. I ran out of steam last night. But your book is probably one of the most integrated works that I've ever read. Because uh, you talked about your philosophy, you talked about your technique, and everything just flowed through it. So there was nothing that was inconsistent in, with, with your book from how you started through you know, the day-to-day processes you're giving people on how to, how to run their day-to-day lives. You know? So um, the whole concept of the front row moments yeah. for me, all right, that just... That was that was very powerful. So I'm not even going to try to play with it. What I'm going to do is say, you know, come on in and talk to us about how people can individually start to put their front row uh, moments together. I mean, I've read the stories about you talking to your kids and I read yeah, about yeah. Your son. All right. So so. Um, oh, this is great. We we, we want to be a front row. We want to be a front row person. How do we start? Yeah. Well, that's cool. We we have found out over the years, and this is really unfolded. Um, as the organization grew, as the movement grew, that we realized that we're all really just moment makers. Now, we feel like that's what we do when we create these days for people is we're real moment makers, right? We're, we, we know everything that's their favorite, their favorite colors, smells, music, food. We do custom gifts. We take in them. It's, it's a day where they feel like a total rock star. 
and we're always asking ourselves, what would make this moment extra special? What would make, what would make this person really just go, no way? You know, we're looking for those epic experiences. And what we realized was that it was so much more than just that day. It was, we were moment makers from the minute we told somebody they were going to the event. So you, since you read into the book, you'll know, and I'll tell your audience that looking back, we recognized that there were three main kind of forces at work uh, when, when it comes to being a moment maker. One was understanding the power of anticipation. So as an example, um, as, it, as it relates to the charity, when I tell a recipient they're going to be going to an event, that's the minute that their experience begins. So I use the example of Thomas K, who was a young man, early 20s, rugby player, top of his game type of deal. And then he, he's uh, diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. He's in a wheelchair. He's losing his eyesight. And he's, is, of course, not able to play rugby. And that's crushing. But he wants to go see the Rugby World Cup right? And so we rally, a team in Canada raises the money. We have a Canadian organization as well, Front Row Canada. And they raise the money and they send Thomas and his family to go see this event. What we learned later was that when Thomas was in physical therapy, we heard that he was fighting to, go, to stand for the national anthem at the event. Mm-hmm. So what we saw was the power of hope. And we, did, we, didn't, we didn't anticipate that in the beginning. But we saw that you can be a moment maker the minute you give somebody hope for the future. Because see, hope for the future isn't like ignoring the present moment. That's bringing the power of the future into the present moment. That is, you know, saying when you're hopeful, you can make the difference now. That's the difference between wishful thinking and being hopeful is that wishful thinking, you wish things were different. And it's, it's, it's not very empowering, whereas if hope is this place that gives us real fuel for now. Um, so we realized that piece of it. So when I tell my family we're going on vacation, so everybody listening today, I would ask you what, how you apply this in your own life is look at your calendar and ask, are there dates on the calendar that you, your loved ones, your friends that you're looking forward to? Because the minute you have something that you're looking forward to, you can manage the moment that much better. So that's a key element. You know, if you run a business, vision for the future is so important, right? If you're recruiting, people need to know where you're going and what does the outcome look like? What are the images of the future? If you're the president of a nation, you know, that vision is so important. People are attracted to that. I know if my wife is having a difficult week, if I take a moment and schedule a babysitter for the weekend and tell her we're going to go out, you can manage the chaos (laughs) a little bit better when you know there's an end in sight. It's just like that marathon we talked about earlier. You know, people always ask me, how did you run 52 miles? And I'd say, we didn't run 52 miles. We ran one mile 52 times. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key. So hope was a big one. Another one I'll give you um, about moment making is about celebration. So looking back and celebrating moments of our life is so important, right? When we look back into the past, we can highlight great moments. Mm-hmm. And where we saw that show up in the charity was, for example, Michael, a young man who went to go see a pirate show. Now, I've never been on an airplane, never seen the ocean, never stayed in a hotel. His whole event was filled with firsts, right? It was an incredible experience. And Michael was very, very sick. And when he got home, um, the, these were his final days. You know, this was his last event with his family. And Michael was in his hospital room. And one of our 
uh, former board members and, and one of my best friends, Carrie Smolensky, great guy, runs a business out of Chicago, massive giving heart, love this guy. He uh, goes to visit Michael in the hospital because yeah, that's what type of guy he is, right? That wasn't, didn't need to, we didn't ask him to, he just went to go see Michael and his family and, and show love and show support, showing up for people, right? That's being in the front row. But he goes out to the hospital and he sees Michael looking through his photo album in his hospital bed, reliving that day. And I think that's so very powerful to understand how we can celebrate life, whether that's birthdays, whether that's anniversaries, whether that's uh, your daily front row moments. So what we've recognized was that, yes, the big front row moment is when you are front row to your dream event. That's the big front row moment. But listen, for most of us, for many of us, we're going to experience probably a few of those epic moments in life where you're literally seeing your favorite band in the front row. For many people, that's a one-time ever, if ever, experience, right? Mm -hmm. But the question for us became, how do we create more of these front row moments in every day of life? And what we started to realize was they weren't always, they didn't always have to be epic or expensive or you didn't have to travel. And you could be watching your children wrestle on the floor and have a front row moment. You can be holding hands in prayer at dinner and having a front row moment. You can be uh, gazing at a beautiful sunset and having a front row moment. You could be greeting your neighbor in the morning and have a front row moment. The front row moment is just a metaphor for getting close to things, people, thoughts, experiences that make us feel alive. And I was telling you guys earlier, right, that it was like Thursday with Norma when my house gets clean. <laughs> that's a front row moment for me, baby. You know, that's a front row moment because it's like it makes me feel really happy. It makes me feel total joy. And I think that these moments that we have, that's what our life is built on. So you want to look at your whole life, right? And, and, I, and I wrote about this in the book and you guys probably remember this. I took out my journal and I did an exercise that was transformative where I, I drew a dot on the left, and that was my birth, a dot on the right side of the page, that was my death. And I said, all right, let's just say I live to be 100 years old. Um, you know, maybe 80 or 90 of those years are really awesome years where I could do anything and I'm totally mobile. And, you know, and then I said, where am I doing this? I was probably in my late 30s at the time. And I looked at that and I was like, oh my gosh, there it is right in front of my eyes. Like I'm halfway done almost, you know, and I said that to me, that recognition of death was not paralyzing. It was mobilizing. Like it was inspiring. It was, I got vitality from that idea that my moments were numbered. And, and, and I think it was the movie, the fight club years ago, there's a saying that's like your, your life is ending one minute at a time. And we all, we all have a life threatening illness. It's called being human. You know, every single person meets the end one day. And it just so happens that it's a little more dramatic when somebody comes to you and says that timeline might be moved up. But we should all feel that sense of urgency, not panic, not anxiety, but urgency to make the most of our time, to not get hung up in anger and to be resentful of people, you know, and, and, and to be mad about something, but to be appreciative of what we have and to make the most of our moments. So we teach people now that when you wake up every day, you say, what front row moments can I create for myself and others today? 
um, throughout the day, we teach people to be always asking the question, like, how can I recognize or create a front row moment? Because sometimes they're right in front of us and sometimes we make it. And then at the end of the day, to celebrate them, to look back and say, what were my front row moments? Now, do you have to say front row moments? No, it's just like saying, hey, what was great? What am I going to do today that's great? What, what's great about right now? And then at the end, what was great about the day? We just use the word front row moment because that's our language of our community, our family. And that's how you do it. That's how you think about it. And you realize that sometimes you're in hope, sometimes you're in celebration, and sometimes you're using all of that to make the most of right now. That's just living in the moment. And if we can live in the moment and make the most of all of them by using hope and celebration and all these other tools that we have, we will get to the end of our lives and feel very proud of what we've created. Your, your book, <laughs> it, it, I understand. I'm, I love Tony Robbins, by the way, right? Me too, so like, man. Like from the beginning, um, Tony Robbins was like my, my, my guru. Yeah. And you put, I mean, and I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about the science necessarily in the book, but you put so much uh, in, in your book, how you masterfully weaved through the story, not only the emotions and the things we needed to do, but the science yeah. that teaches us how that comes, that comes to, to be. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't want to really go into the, buy the book y'all. That's all I got to say. Um, <laughs> you buy the book, but you painted pictures. You make distinctions in here that most of us will never hear. Mm. You talk about joy and celebration uh, in a way that most of us don't hear about it. I mean, like you say in the book, you know, celebration is normally, I mean, that's, that's just a, a party. Uh, well, I forget exactly how you said it now, but I got, I got like yellow and blue and orange marks all through here. So I go back and I'm, that's a good sign. That's a good sign, Kelvin. All, all through the thing. But um, you talk about shifts in perspective and all of that. I mean, you, you take the grand picture, which nobody can see me with my arms open across the screen like this right now. But you, you take the grand picture and you do a very effective job of telling us how to bring that grand picture down into individual moments in, in, in our day. I, I got to learn that. All right. Mm. So I got to listen to you. More. We all do. <laughs> I, I, I have to practice what I preach. I mean, did you guys, I mean, I'm going to show, are you, nobody listening can see this, but can you see this on my arm right here, guys? Oh, gosh, look at you. So that, for those who aren't watching this, I have, I have a tattoo on my left arm, my forearm, and it's our, it's our logo. It's our front row logo. And I really had to sit with this and think long and hard about um, creating a reminder for myself I used to write things on my arm, reminders that I wanted to be thinking about. And now I have so many positive attachments and anchors that I think we need that, Kelvin. I struggle at times walking into a room and sitting in the back because I want to check out, because I, I, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be engaged. And I have to challenge myself to step up in life. Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. We're, we'll, we'll get a video clip of that. Okay. <laughs> Let's pick that up on, a, on the show notes. Um, yeah, that uh, I, I didn't even know what to say. I was I was speechless like many times during the book, going like, oh, 
such a such a lesson. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. You know, I'll, and I will tell everybody about the book. Um, we were we we're very very proud of the book, and uh, I say that because there were so many hands involved in making and bringing this to life. You know, the countless interviews that were done. I want to credit uh, so many people on the front row team. Uh, I, you know, the all of the recipients over the years taught us so much that I really want to credit them. I wanted this book to be. Uh, honoring our family and our community and all that had been done. And and if you had, see, I don't know if you got to see the end acknowledgement section. Yeah, it's like, look at this, 40 pages in the back. So when you get to this point, take a, take a nap, go back and read the rest. That's right. The book is 260 pages and 30 of them are acknowledgements, right? Um, and, and I remember talking to people about this and, and I remember people giving me advice like, no, you don't need to recognize all those people. And I was like, I want this to be representative of how I feel about people. And I want to honor as many people as possible. I must have spent three days, 12 hours a day doing the acknowledgement section. And also at that point, you really, once you start naming all those people, your biggest concern is leaving one out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that gets crazy. Um, you, You said something in here and I've actually read a lot of stuff lately that, that kind of, poo-poo, positive mental attitude. Um, and, and maybe that's not what they mean to do, but a lot of people, uh, there are a number of people who have, who have come out and talked about positive mental attitude and how that sets you up for a, a big uh, fall and failure later. And I... He's talking about me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not that time I wasn't talking. <laughs> but um, you talk about... Um, how to celebrate life and, and, and you're building up hope, even though the people that you are do, putting the, f- the front row moments together for are in many cases terminally ill or whatever term we want to use for that. You are still building up hope and gratitude in, in those people. And I like to tell people that, you know, you cannot overestimate or you cannot underestimate, do not underestimate the power of a feeling of gratitude. That's and you right. talk about that in your book through, through a lot of things. So talk to us a little bit about, about positive mental attitude, which, which whatever words you use for it, and, and the effect of, of gratitude for the moment. Yeah, well, one of my favorite authors, uh, Sean, and I, I, I think his last name is pronounced Acker, um, A-C-H-O-R. He wrote a book called uh, The Happiness Advantage. And years ago, this book came out. And when I read it, it just blew my mind about the research that had been done about simple things like journaling three things you're grateful for every night for 21 days and the effect that would have on somebody. I started to get totally sold on the idea of how gratitude becomes a tool that we use. That's just some nice thing, you know, light and fluffy that sometimes people reject because they want something that's a little more actionable. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the science and not only that, but just how I feel when I sit down um, to write out things I'm grateful for. One of my, how I get out of a funk and I get in a funk occasionally I sit down and I just start writing all the things that are going well or all the things that are better this year than last year. Even if a lot of things are worse, you know, I write down what is better, right? What, what has improved over the last year? 
And whenever I start thinking about what's great, what am I grateful for? What do I have? What are my resources? What are my tools? What are my privileges? I start to feel differently. And I believe that there's great power in that. So first of all, no matter what position you're in in your life, I think it's very important to take moments to feel that gratitude for what you do have. Um, because there's a saying that if everybody were to take their problems and kind of throw them into the center of the room and you saw what everybody else was dealing with, you would be quick to grab yours back. <laughs> you know, just this morning, my wife and I were driving back from the gym and we, so my morning this morning was I played with my kids for three hours wow. from six to nine. We got ready. We did a 10 o'clock yoga class and, uh, we're driving home and on the way home, we're talking about our friends in Houston and we're talking about how, what can we do? And my wife is sending clothes and she's meeting up with some people and she's coordinating. And she says, oh my God, did you hear about the family that passed away? I think it was a, I don't, I don't quote me on the story, but which, what was passed along to me was, uh, it was a grandmother and a grandfather maybe. And, um, and then there were kids in the car mm-hmm. and uh, they got trapped in the water and that was it. And I just said to her, I said, oh my God, like I just, my heart broke. And I said, I said, it's so important, sweetheart, that we just take a moment and you do take a moment and you mourn the loss. And then, and then, and then, and then we take a moment and we, we feel grateful for what we have. And, and, and I'm like, and I'm like, I want to hug my kids extra hard. I want to tell my wife, I love her and, 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 and look into her eyes for two seconds longer. When you start to realize how fast it can all go away. That's when I think about gratitude, I think about how we can be so grateful in any moment. And many of us struggle with that because we, we get into this business of comparing. I think one of the things that steals the magic of life is when we start getting envious and jealous of other people. And social media, however much it's connected us and given us opportunities, has also presented an interesting challenge, which is I sometimes despise Facebook and Instagram <laughs> Because I look at it and I find myself feeling like I'm not doing enough when I look at where people are traveling or what people just bought or what the things they're doing and all this. I sometimes look at that and I'm like, I start to notice that about myself mm-hmm. and I, I have to remember how easy it is to slip into the, I wish I had more. I wish I was right. And, and that's, that's different than having goals. That's the feeling of like, it's nothing wrong with wanting more or progressing, but you have to ask yourself, how does it make you feel? Does it make you feel insignificant and paralyzed and like you're not enough and your life isn't meaningful or does it inspire you to create and to give more and to step up more? I have to be very careful with that. So gratitude is a tool that shows me all the resources that are around me, all the things that are going well. And then that becomes the energy and the catalyst. Gratitude isn't, isn't um, lazy. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that I don't have goals or I don't wake up and crush it every day at 5 a.m. It means I do it and I'm grateful. Like I can stop and smell the, I used to wrestle with this as a kid. I was like, oh, wait a minute. So do I, do I march forward to my destination or do I stop and smell the roses? Like, what is it? Seemed like life was always tossing me two things, right? Like, go out, get all your stuff and make sure you stop to appreciate it. I'm like, well, which one do I do? (laughs) Right. And I'm like, you do both. You, you, you drive to your destination and then you stop and smell the roses and you do both. 
You, you absolutely need to do both. And, and there's so much great science around that. There's so much great science around how gratitude propels us forward and gives us the tools and the resources to keep marching. Awesome. So you mentioned your, your family, uh, and I think that's a good, good way to transition into one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, you touch on this in the book a little bit, uh, your routines uh, in the morning, during the day, and at night. But with all you've got going on with your speaking and the foundation and the retreats and everything else, how do you show up for your partners and your, and your wife and your boys and your front row recipients and, and everybody? How do you keep you together for that? Well, I want to make a comment that you can't show up for everybody. So you have to choose who you show up for. Um, because when you try to show up for everybody, you show up to nobody. And I think that what I've done and I, I write about and I teach in the book is the who's in your front row, your top eight. And I have that list right here. I'm looking at it. So I know who my eight people are. And it doesn't mean that I don't give to other people or spend time elsewhere. I just have to prioritize and make sure that when I look at my calendar um, and your calendar is a representation of your values, that you put them on first, right? That you put them in there and then you like a chess match or like a puzzle, you start moving things around until you look at that and say, that feels good. And then you create little spaces for the extra people, right? The, the new conversations and you feel good about how much space is there, but you literally lay it out and you block time and you, and you guard it like your life depends on it. So the way, the way I attempt to do it and Josh, I, I, you know, of course, it's not always a perfect system. Like I will overdo it There's and burn out. I will, I will, I will take too, too, too much time off and my business starts to suffer. I'm constantly in a state of correcting, constantly. And uh, you have systems in place to make sure. They, I remember um, the Heath brothers wrote about this. They called it tripwires in your life. You have tripwires. So I have little things that pop up to make sure like I take a moment and ask, is this working? right? This is the 80-20 analysis. This is the weekly review. This is that you spend 10 minutes a day, one hour a week, one day a month, three days a quarter, one week a year, right? To like manage your life. You have time blocked. You, you, you know, for me, it's miracle morning every day. Do you, go, do you guys know my buddy Hal, the miracle morning? Hello, yep. Yeah. So, okay. So Hal, Hal um, wrote the miracle morning, amazing process that you put into your day. Now, you know, he has the savers, silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise, reading, and then scribing, which is journaling. You don't have to do all those every day. It's great if you do. Um, I don't like to exercise in the morning, so I don't. I stretch or do, you know, a little bit of yoga, but I exercise later in the day. You know, I told you I did a 10 a.m. yoga today. I don't like my, my miracle morning is I read, right? If I'm going to be a thought leader, if I'm going to go out and give to the world, I better be pouring something in early on. So I love to wake up, get a glass of water, make a coffee, sit down on my couch in silence, read a book, write questions up on my dry erase board, grab my journal, look at my calendar, think about my day, think about what my high five are going to be, my five most important activities. I think about you know, managing my to-do lists. It's all about understanding what I'm going to do today, understanding where my hours are best spent. So 5 to 7.30 is my time in the morning. 7.30 to 9 is family time and kids. 9 to 12 is 
content creation, building, connect, writing books, make, you know, making things 12 to one, just block it, right? I don't take an hour lunch, but I want time to just block. And then one to four, one to three, typically podcast interviews, conversations. You know, if I am paying bills, I have lower amount of brain power during that time. So I want <laughs> less creative tasks during that time. And then typically I don't book anything after four o'clock in the afternoon. So 3.30 to five, I might take my kids for a run or I might go for a run. And then five to eight is family time. You know, typically, now it's not all perfect. It's like typically that's family time. And then eight o'clock to nine is Tatiana time or clean the kitchen or wind down or watch TV or read a book or do whatever I want to do. My time to choose. And then in bed by nine, up by five. That type of deal, you know, I could say, is this, is this, uh, I don't know if I should say this on the show. Parents, if your kids are in the car, you might want to mute this, but it's like nine to 10. You kind of reserve for bedroom time, <laughs> but you, you have to, you have to have time. And, and then you realize that none of that's a perfect system. Those are all guidelines. You, you right. aim for those, right? You aim for them. And, and then, you know, when I need to sleep in, I do. When I need to, when I need to just watch a movie one night, I do. You know, I just do those things when I need to, but ultimately that's how the day unfolds. And, and then I, I, um, I, I constantly look back and ask myself what's working and what's not. And then I'll switch. So if you ask me six months from now, it'll probably give you a different answer. <laughs> what are you reading early in the morning? Uh, everything. Whatever is most important in my life at the time. So I'm, I run a, a one-day speaker training workshop up in uh, Sacramento in October. So I'm reading books on speaking now because I like to learn and keep fresh and always be in the game that I'm teaching on. Uh, I'm reading a book on money management because I have a new financial goal. You want to hear something fun, by the way? Sure. Uh, I, tied, <laughs> I tied a financial goal to drinking. So I'll give you an example. I told my, I'll tell you what happened, not the example. This is actually what happened is that I went to my wife and I said, I am not going to have another sip of alcohol until I generate $20,000 a month in recurring revenue that comes in without me having to do something to make that work. Not, not fully, because there is no real, totally passive income, right? There's, people are always uh, have their hands involved. But, um, uh, and, and you know what, I shouldn't even say that definitively. Rarely is there ever truly passive income <laughs> for, for most people that are involved. I would like to create something that's a recurring revenue stream that doesn't involve me speaking, and uh, I am not going to have another sip of alcohol until that occurs. <laughs> so and you live part, in a great beer town. So. <laughs> part of, I, and, trust, and here's the thing. I love wine. I love beer. I love cognac. I love, I love it. It's really wonderful. It's social activity. I, I love talking about it. I love learning about it. So this is really motivating to me. And I'm motivated heavily to get this done. So now I'm reading books on income. Um, and money making because that's something I've recognized that I haven't poured a lot of time into in my life. I've poured a ton of time into contribution. I have not poured a lot of time into how do I really make sure that financially I'm taken care of. So, I mean, and, and I say that meaning we're, you know, I, I live a great life. I'm not, you know, this is, this is great. My, my child goes to a private school. We eat well, we live well, we vacation, but this isn't the security I want long term. And so I need to do something about that. Well, there you go. That was, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> 
So now we need, now we know that you need to drink. I mean, you need to make money in order to drink. Man, if you drink $20,000 worth of liquor a month, I got to tell you, that's <laughs> tough. Holy smoke. That's right. That's right. Well, it depends on how much you love your cognac. Cause now, well, now there, is, yeah, there is, there is it. Okay. Daily greens. You got that. That's right. All right. Um, since you, since you mentioned the, your front row eight, cause I found that very, very interesting when I read it, uh, in, in your book here. And, and, and I, I, again, I just have to say that this book combines so many things, um, that we that we needed to to look at or it's adv- advantageous to look at um i've run across people who who don't want to read books they don't want to get into other people's thought processes and i'm like how how can you how can you do that how can you possibly think about everything and i used to read all the time and then i kind of got away from it and you know when you stop reading you can get really boring pretty quick <laughs> yeah you know so so i mean Speak to that. Speak to, um, and Josh is going to shut me up here, and eventually, but you know, speak to reading and and uh, other people's work to to expand your mind and thought processes and so forth. Yeah, well, this so going back pre Tony Robbins era, all through my high, my my school my my schooling life, I determined I had a belief that I was not good at reading. I did mm-hmm. not read. I'm not a reader. That was my belief. I'm not a reader. Uh, and I remember, you know, people telling me, you know, hey, you might have some type of learning disability. And I labeled myself that, held on to that, and just never read a thing until I remember going, until I went to the Tony Robbins conference and Tony has you challenge old beliefs. He said, what beliefs have you held on to that are no longer serving you that you want to get rid of? And I thought that's one I want to get rid of. So I determined I had a new belief at that event and I, I affirmed it. I encanted it. I said it over and over again until I started to believe. And I started to take action on the fact that I'm, I love to read, right? I'm, I'm a great reader. I'm a, I'm a reader that's getting better and better every day. And ultimately that year I went home and read 50 plus books that year. What I saw happen was that my, and I think I wrote this in the book, I can't remember, but I, my buddy said to me, John, you're, you're way more interesting when you're reading. <laughs> he just drew that yeah, correlation because yeah. uh-huh. I would show up to work and we would be sitting around the lunch table and I might say, guys, did you know that, <laughs> you know, and I just offer something up and they're like, no, that's fascinating. Where did you learn that? And I'm like, in a book, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and you, and then you start to think about it. And you, and I started to, what I started to get excited about was I was like, oh my gosh, somebody out there did all the homework, did all the research. They sat down and they said in the fewest amount of words, now this isn't the case with every book. I mean, there's some yeah. terrible books out there, <laughs> no, but yeah. in the fewest amount of words, how could I unpack this amazing idea and give it to you that you could literally read my years of research and have the best of it in three hours, four hours, right? You could have all of it. You could know exactly what I'm saying. And people, and Tony charges a million dollars a year for coaching, but he wrote a book. Those are his words. If you want to get coaching from Tony Robbins, read his book, right? Like he does, those are his words. Those are his thoughts. So, so take that. And I thought, oh my gosh, let's fast forward. Imagine, and I I want everybody to do this exercise. All right. Everybody listening right now, think about your life 10 years down the road. Okay. 10 years. Now imagine yourself having read a book a week 
for the next 10 years. So you're reading 50 books a week, let's say a year, for the next 10 years. How much more evolved are you as a human being? How much, how much better of a friend, of a parent, of a lover, of a partner, of a whatever are you? Uh, how much more different, how much of a difference would, how much bigger of a difference will you make in the world with all that knowledge and information inside you? If you just read a book a week or a book a month, I mean, even if you're like, ah, oh, John, never a book a week, but a book a month, a book a month. Think about that, a 200 page book right? You, you know, think about what changes in your life when you read very simply 10 pages a day, 20 pages a day. Think about how it stacks up. What's amazing is who you become after 10 years of that. And this is something that's been said by many people. They say you'll uh, overestimate what you can do in a year, but you'll underestimate what you can do in 10 right? And it's like, if you stay consistent, if you every morning, every night, read a couple of pages out of a book, at the end of 10 years, the amount of knowledge that you have is absolutely incredible. So to me, books are the lifeline. You know, as we sit here, my, my, I turned my, my couch here behind me in my office, I had a night or like a table, an end table. Mm -hmm. And I took the end table and I gave it away and I just stacked books. <laughs> and that's my end table is stacks of books. And I love that every time I see that I'm reminded to read. I love that my son this morning walked into my office and caught me reading. To me, that was the greatest thing ever that he caught me reading. So my question to everybody out there that's a parent, do your kids catch you watching TV or reading more often? And we start to think about the impact that we have. Do the conversations that you have with your employees, is it around what movie did you watch recently or what book did you read? Now, I'm not slamming movies because I love movies, right? Like I love TV, but I have to be careful with what I'm watching. You know, and, and there's, yeah, there's no diff. By the way, if you watch something great, educational documentary about life, whatever, that's great too. I love a simple action movie, you know, that's totally brainless. But <laughs> my point is this, however you get your information, you have to ask yourself, are you reading and learning in your field, in your craft, in your, if you're a parent, you should be reading about parenting, you know, 20 minutes a day forever. That's what you should be doing. If you want to get better at money, read about money. You want to, get, be, want to be better about you know, interviewing people or podcasting, you should be reading about that, learning about communication and speech and listening and all that stuff. That's what we need to be doing. Awesome. I want to take um, one of your questions and, uh, and give it back to you. <laughs> um, what are you tired of answering and what do you wish people asked you more? <laughs> what am I tired of answering? I don't feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm not a big enough celebrity to be tired of answering anything right now. Uh, I want people to be asking me more questions. You know, the, if, but if there was one question, I want to answer that though. I want to be, I want to be real. What am I tired of answering? Um, I love being stumped by my own questions. <laughs> We read that, yeah. <laughs> I uh, and, and we got uh, we got that was a good question way early, so oh, like we're ahead of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I almost I'm gonna come back to that one. I'll see if okay. uh, if something comes up to me. Uh, I'll ask the one I that I we'll wish. We'll find out when I ask it. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. The, the question I love for people to ask me about, and you guys have done a great job at this, is I love when people ask me about the book 
and how it's doing or when somebody says, hey, how's your book doing and how can I help? To me, that's like, that's the best question that I get. Um, that's the question I wish everybody would ask is, how's your book doing? How can I help? And the answer to that is always, hey, pick up a copy, read it. And if you authentically dig it, which I hope you will, then write a one sentence review on Amazon and tell your friends or give away a copy or two. That's the best thing that could be done. Um, I think when it comes to questions like that, what, what questions I like are questions that have to do with my biggest dreams and goals. And I think that's probably the case for most people, which is why one of the, my favorite questions for people is like, what dreams are you chasing now? Or what makes you come alive? Or what are you excited about this year? Because that's really what I want to talk about with people. And for me, we spent two years working on this book, you know, tens of thousands of dollars invested, lots of heart and soul, lots of great people that worked on this project. And I want it to spread because the more people that read that book, the more recipients we find, the more um, donors will find us, the more connections we'll get to events and venues and all that stuff. That book is scalable for our charity. And it was the first time we had something of that format that people could really share. And people would say, John, where, how can I learn about your charity? I'm like, there is no better way than in that book. That, that book is the best way to not only learn about what we do and the impact that we have, but how you can use the same tools to make an impact in your life and your friends' lives. So if somebody wants to make the most of their moments, this is a book that they want to read. Yeah, and I'll reiterate that. Um, I, I have two pages of, of printed out actionable items, which I'm holding up in front of the camera, which makes for great audio, I know. We can do a, a screen print of that one too. Yeah, yeah. That's right. You can rustle the papers in the mic. Yeah, like, so here right. they are, guys. That's right. <laughs> Way to bring it to life, Josh. Way to bring it to life. Single space pages with bolded headings. Yes, it was. <laughs> So I, I've got a personnel question for you. So yes. I know some people you know, are, are both looking for employees and customers, and that's not really where this falls, but, but you've got a, a few unique kinds of people you need for your organization. Um, one type of people is how do, how do you find people who uh, go out of their way to work hard and then not not be the focus of attention when they – you know, when the event happens and then how do you find good recipients who, I mean, I'm a terrible receiver and you, you mentioned this in your book yeah. um, that, that I have a, I have a hard time when people go out of their way for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, so how, how do you we, find those two different people? Well, that's a fun question. I, when it comes to employees, you're talking about people that we hire to create these events. Yeah, or people who volunteer to help create those events and who, yeah. you know, work so hard to get those events done. And then That's right. We have a staff that does that. We have a paid okay. staff. We tried volunteers years ago to do this. And what we realized was that these events presently, our process is that these events have way too many moving parts. There's very specific skill sets from photography to videography. Uh, we had one recipient event as an example where the volunteer didn't turn the mic on on the camera so we didn't ah. capture the audio. And you start to think about how important those things are to yeah. somebody's potentially dream event or last event, those types of things. We recognized that there were some things volunteers could do and we would love to train them to do that. And there's other things that a trained professional staff 
um, needed to be doing these things. So, and, and also communicating with families. There's some really important keywords, things that you want to be sensitive to. Like um, you wouldn't want to say to a recipient, so you're a real diehard fan, huh? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what you'd want to say. Um, you'd want to say, so you're a raving fan. Right. So it's little things like that. And by the way, the only reason I know these things that you don't say them is because I've said them all. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've had some real foot in mouth moments in my life. Uh, I could tell you about a couple even recently, but we always learn and we always grow and then we train and we, we evolve and we get better. Our teams, uh, we work really hard when we hire people on to the team. We search high and low. We have a, a process. People interview. We have them do things that would demonstrate their personality and their ability to be moment makers. We ask them about moments they've created in the past. And I think that what the best advice I've ever gotten when you're trying to hire somebody is you try to get people to do the things in the hiring process that they'd ultimately be doing when they're doing the work. Not in theory, but in reality, right? Um, if somebody's going to be a professional, you know, um, t-shirt maker, have them make a t-shirt, right? That's the best way. So see how they do. And so we do the same thing and that's how we find our team. And we've been very fortunate with our team. We have a wonderful team. People stick around. We, we grow, we, we have a loving, caring, creative, positive team. And we practice what we preach. Every time we get on the phone for a team call and a Zoom call, we share front row moments to start off the call uh, every week. And it's going to happen today on Thursdays. Our team sends out an email and it says, share your top two front row moments, personal and charity related. Right? So we practice what we preach. And I think that helps keep people engaged. When it comes to finding recipients, um, we have an application process. People come through our site. And the truth is, we don't always know if somebody is going to be great at receiving the gift. Clearly, when you look at 100 plus experiences that we've done, there's all different types of reactions you get. And our team will say, some people are over, they're so grateful. They're so wonderful to be around because they're just like, in front row rocks, this is awesome. They're very outspoken. And some people are more reserved. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're not having a good time. It just means that their personality, they're, they're much more introverted. And I'll give you an example of that because people are sometimes either it's tough to receive gifts uh, or, and or uh, they don't show it that they're being moved by their gift, right? So they are receiving it, but they don't know how to demonstrate outwardly that they're, they're loving it. We had, a we had a recipient, his name was Derek. And Derek was a very soft-spoken guy. And we took him to go see the 76ers game. And I remember going to his house afterwards and we had some things to take over there. He's still very reserved. It wasn't like we walked in, he's like, you guys, you guys changed my life. This event was the best event ever in my life. I'm so grateful for you. Like, it wasn't like that. It was just like, hey, it was a great time. Thanks. Like, it was really genuine, but it was really quick to the point. And I thought, I thought, did he really enjoy it? Like, because it's not how I would express it. Clearly, right. I'm very enthusiastic and very outspoken and it's not how I would have expressed it. So I kind of, impl I put my value system on him. Well, a couple of days later, uh, somebody sends me a message and says, hey, John, it looks like somebody's more committed to the front row than you. I said, what are you talking about? They said, look at this picture and sent me a picture. And Derek got tattooed across his back from shoulder to shoulder, big, live life in the front row. Wow. And he didn't just get the tattoo. He did it in the font 
that we were using for our for our logo. Like it was literally an exact replica of our of our of our tagline live life in the front row. And I was just blown away. And I realized in that moment that people receive gifts very differently. And um, what you spoke to, Josh, and I think I've experienced this, many people experience this, is, is it's sometimes difficult to accept a gift from somebody. So I'll, I'll speak to this on two parts. One is um, when we did an event one time called The Big Give, we brought everybody together from our community. We had 80 people and we sent them out into the city to do random acts of kindness. And what, they, what we didn't expect, but what, fa- what we found out was that people came back saying how often they tried to give to somebody and the person rejected it. So like they tried to do something nice for the person and the person was like, no, thanks. Because we're sometimes skeptical of those nice things. Like you're going to walk up and give me a bracelet and then you're going to tell me I need to donate to your you know, religious organization. Um, and, and we're skeptical of those gifts. So we say no, right? And all our team was wanted to do is give something, but people thought there was a catch. And I, I know that people have a hard time receiving gifts. For me personally, it's taking compliments. I would, for years, I would struggle. People were like, you're awesome. And although I say that, it makes it sound like for years, people would tell me how awesome I am. But my, my point is, look, look, ladies and gentlemen, I'm using this just as an example, that somebody would tell you something nice and you would reject them. They'd say, Josh, you're such a good looking guy. And then you're like, no, 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 no. And you realize that when you reject it, you're rejecting their gift and you're stopping that person from expressing love or something great within them. What shifted for me was to recognize that when somebody gives a gift, it doesn't have to be about me. I can actually just love the fact that they're enjoying giving. And so when somebody comes up to me now after a speech and says, John, that was awesome, man. You are great. I'll say, thank you so much. It makes me so happy to see that you enjoyed it. And uh, don't forget, we often see in other people what we see in ourselves. That's exactly what I say. So I just tell people, I and mean, they're like, man, that was, you are so great. I say, thank you. And don't forget, we often see in others what we see in ourselves. And they're like, you, you're good. You're good. <laughs> and I say, me, I'm, tr- I'm, just, I'm just being truthful. I'm just being truthful. Right. And it's like, it's easy to speak the truth. So I I think that for many of us, we do need to learn how to accept gifts in life because when we stop accepting that, we stop the gift giving, which is a true joy in life. And that creates a very positive cycle. Just remember that when somebody tells you you're good looking, you're smart, you're awesome, that actually doesn't have much to do with you. It has to do with how they perceive you. It's their emotions that they're expressing. So one person can think you're extremely good looking. Another person can think that you're not. Neither are true except to the person that's believing it. So we have to, when somebody gives us a gift, simply thank them, love them for it, and allow that energy to be exchanged. Wonderful. Um, That's my... I love that. You were... You were saying that, and um, I want to be respectful of your time, so you know, wave your hands or something. I don't even know what time it is. That's <laughs> um, good. If we start going too long, but um, you were saying that, yeah, as you're, I got ten minutes. Okay, um, as you're heading your uh, 
late twenties, uh, toward 30, um, you were, you were running away from stuff. You were working a lot from fear. How did, how did you make the decision to change from, from fear to, to love? And I know that took a, probably took a little while, but it's a bunch of things. Yeah. It's, it's a bunch of things. I can't even pinpoint one. It's, it's like what makes a puzzle, you know, it's, it's all of it. It's all the pieces. And I think it's the same thing um, with that concept of evolution of a human soul. It's the, it's everything we write about in the book. It's having a new dream, right? It's looking back and being grateful for your past. It's rewriting your story of your life. Like the story that you tell yourself about your former years doesn't have to be the same story you tell yourself today. You can change the story. Uh, most of your story, by the way, isn't even true anyway. You just, you know, <laughs> literally you're just filling in a lot of blanks with your own stuff. It's not, not even really how it happened. You tell your stuff like, that's what happened that time. It's like, not really. Maybe a big story <laughs> around that's not really how it happened. Um, and it doesn't have to mean what you've always made it mean. So I think that part of it is just, you know, and then we write about in the book, we say there's three areas of focus to really live a front row life. And one is get your mindset straight, right? To really have this empowered mindset. And a mindset is empowered when it asks empowering questions. Your mind is meant to ask and answer very, um, your mind is meant to ask and answer questions. And we need to learn to direct that. That's mindfulness. And mindfulness is being aware of what's happening and then being intentional in that space. So, that occurs by the information we take in. So it's what books you're reading. It's what content. It's becoming the chief marketing officer of your life. It's decorating your office and your home and your environment with the things that make you come alive. We write about environment as one of the areas of focus. Like I work very hard. I moved to Austin because I wanted to control my environment. We work very specifically to put our son in a specific school because we want to control the environment. We want to, um, we want to do things. Norma, Norma. <laughs> <laughs> she organizes my environment and that makes me, my heart sing. So what happens in our lives is that we start to do the simple principles, the timeless principles, the one that everybody talks about, but we have to do them. You know, if, if, if health, <laughs> health isn't complicated, right? Eat some fruits and veggies, drink some water, exercise and get sleep. You'll be healthier. But we, for a lot of us, we won't do the things that need to be done to get the results that we want. So this is about discipline. It's about choosing your friends. It's about choosing your books. It's about choosing your work. It's about choosing your dreams. It's about choosing what you're grateful for. And then, and then practicing it relentlessly so that your results um, show that you've been intentional about this. Right? We ask a question. How might I? What might the future look like? What's the next most important step? What's my highest priority? What am I grateful for? Who, who, who and what are my most avail available and uh, powerful resources, right? Um, then we, you know, where might I, how can I focus my attention even more? What did I learn from this week? What are the 20% of the activities that brought 80% of the results? What are the 20% of the activities that brought 80% of my stress? What are the 20% of the people in my life bringing 80% of the stress? What are the 20% of my people in life bringing 80% of the results? All these questions that we get clear on, we sit in silence, we, we, we practice our mindfulness, we reprogram our minds, we create new incantations in our lives, we get out there, we do work, we, and, our, and our friends hold us accountable and we march forward. And it's just repeat, 
rinse and repeat, right? Just constantly do that. And ultimately what you end up with is a life that I don't know if you'll hit all your dreams and goals. I always say that. I go, look, you have the biggest dreams and goals. I don't know that you'll hit them, but I do know that you will likely be very, very proud of the journey if you show up big every day in pursuit of them. And that is where you don't hit the top of the mountain per se, but man, you've got a great view. You loved your time. You were out in nature, exercising with friends and maybe next time. So that's, that's, I think what created that shift. All those things we write about developing my mindset, surrounding myself with new people and choosing my environment. So it was leaving one job for another. It was leaving an old belief for a new one. It was changing a toxic relationship for an empowered one, breaking up with my girlfriend, finding the love of my, my life, which is now my wife, right? Quitting my job, forming my own. All these things were all part of the evolutionary process, right? Leave an old question for a new one. Awesome. Awesome. Kelvin, you got anything else? I got tons more, but you know, <laughs> I feel the same about, way when I'm doing it. Down about four minutes, so right. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you, uh, Josh, ask the question that you always like to ask your guests at the end of the <laughs> podcast, and unless you want to make up a new one. <laughs> well, well, I got I got two quick ones for you, right. or, or or that. Okay, the first is where would you like people to to find you online? frontrowfactor.com uh, is the best place. So frontrowfactor.com is the hub for everything. You can, we have lots of other sites, but that is where you can go and get linked to everything in the front row world. Uh, so we've got two free chapters of the book. If you want to check it out, we've got podcast interviews and other Guys, resources. Just buy the book. A portion of every sale goes to support the charity and, and we thank you for that. So it's a, yeah, we we're very, very proud of it. So frontrowfactor.com at books on Amazon. Um, yeah. And it's available on Kindle and, and uh, whatever. Yeah, we'll have an audio book coming out next month, which I'm really oh, excited about. Yeah. So that's the best place, Front Row Factor. If you're on Facebook or Instagram, it's John Vroman, J-O-N-V-R-O-M-A-N, John Vroman. You can connect with me there, Facebook and Instagram mostly. I'll check Twitter occasionally if you want to hit me up there. And we'll have all those links in the show notes. Um, the last question, and you, you, pose a, you pose the challenge in the book, so feel free to just point people there. But I always like to ask our guests to pose a challenge for our listeners. Yeah. My, my challenge for everybody is to, we call this the front row moment experiment. And we challenge people in the book to take uh, whatever length of time they want to commit to, but a minimum of eight days to document your front row moments each day. Uh, an easy way to do that is just at dinner. If you have a regular dinner time with your family, just tell them about the front row philosophy, where this came from, and then share a front row moment. And that's a highlight moment, right? That's a great moment of your day. But also, it could also be a moment where you failed and learned something. Our kids know that a front row moment isn't always a moment of victory, but it's a moment of failure that becomes a victory because you learned something. And so we tell them that that's part of the front row moment. We can actually do both at dinner, a front row moment and a failure that you learned from. And so I would say for eight days minimum, and you might choose to make that longer. We've had people that, uh, we had one woman I wrote about in the book, Nina, who committed to doing it for 180 days, which was very exciting. 
And for 180 days, she created and documented a front row moment every day. And then she shared it online. So she would throw it up online. She would tag the charity. She would hashtag it front row moment. And she would share that. And what she started to recognize or started to happen in her world was her friends started asking her, like, what's this front row moment thing about? And then she had this chance to explain to them what was going on, tell them about the book. And then from there, she uh, had other people start doing the front row moment experiment, which was great. So, and that is, again, it could be anything. Front row moments for her were cooking with her son, um, dancing in the rain. Her front row moments were, um, you know, birthday parties or just relaxing on the couch. I remember one of them was like, it was a long day and I earned this front row moment, which is a nap on my couch. So, Anything where you feel connected and on purpose and recognizing some beautiful moment of your life, that is the front row moment experiment. Commit to it for the next eight days, get a copy of the book and download it to Kindle today and start reading and you'll be done in three hours and feeling inspired with some new ideas. For sure, Will. I want to thank you so much for the time and, uh, and for the energy and for everything you're putting out into the world. And, uh, Go enjoy your newly cleaned and organized house. That's right. <laughs> Norma! <laughs> hey, uh, guys, I want to do something fun. Um, so right. here's, so I want to practice what I preach. So I want to create a front row moment right now on the show. Um, I've never done this before on any podcast. I'm going to do it now. And I like this so much in my heart that I'm going to do that. <laughs> I am going to do this again. Uh, well, let's try it here. So for anybody that's listening to this show, if you go write a review assuming josh and kelvin they can listen on itunes yeah itunes so if anybody goes and writes a review for this show you give it a rating and write a review for this show that you're listening to right now and you screenshot that screenshot that and send it my way for the first three people that write a review and send it to me the screenshot of your review of this show I will personalize a hardcover copy of the Front Row Factor book and I will mail it to you for free. I'll pay for shipping. I'll pay for the book. I will send it your way if you write a review. For the first three people that write a review about this show, screenshot it, send it to me. I will do that. I will send you a hardcover. You just have to remind me what show it was (laughs) and uh, what I'm sending to you. I need your address and then you can email it to me directly, John, J-O-N, at frontrowglobal.com. So John, J-O-N at frontrowglobal.com. I want to be a moment maker today for you guys. I want to be a moment maker for your audience. And I want to get some books out there in the hands of some people that really got value from the show. If you made it all the way through the show, you deserve that. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. All right. All right. Thank you so much, sir. And you have a wonderful rest of your day. Adios, guys. The whole front row day. The whole day. (laughs) That's right. The whole front row day. Take care of yourself. All right. Show notes and